You're listening to Football Friday Night On Demand exclusively on 600 ESPN El Paso. Stay up to date with high school football scores, updates, and news by downloading the free 600 ESPN El Paso mobile app. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Football Friday Night Podcast On Demand. Adrian Broadus, Alex Nicolas, we're your hosts uh, for this podcast. Week six is in the books. We're looking forward to week seven. A lot of storylines to get to. Uh, let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into it. Alex, uh, feels like last week we, we had the grasp on the different teams. We felt a little bit more confident. We gave our hot takes last week. Uh, this week, Now we're setting up for one of the biggest games, if not the biggest game of the year. It's Franklin Eastlake. I don't want to start there, but I want to just ask you, Alex, just just as everything is kind of boiling up across the Sun City with Texas high school football galore, recruiting uh, heating up for a lot of these local uh, kids. This is the time of year, man. This This is what it's all about. October high school football in the city of El Paso. Exactly. And, and week seven gives us three games in, in three different districts. So really, you can look at even four districts if you're talking about the forays where there's some games that are going to decide that district title race, starting with that East Lake Franklin. Also got my eye on that Parkland Canotillo game. Burgess Austin, another one that's, you know, one that, that's going to mean a lot. And then Clint Fabian. So our Clint Fabians and then an outside really good game, El Paso Jefferson. So, of course, we're going to get into all those later. But, you know, these are these important games that we talk about, Adrian, really, you know, that, that are going to dictate a lot of things going forward. And then, of course, in the now, you know, how good are these teams and how, how much have these teams grown? Talking about Franklin, Canotillo, um, and then teams that really are trying to find themselves, the Parklands, El Paso Highs, um, you know, even Austin with a two and three record overall. So lots of questions are going to continue to be answered, but some big questions, I think, is really more of what I'm shooting at this week as far as what we're going to find out. Yeah, I think we're going to get a lot more answers. I I hear what you're saying there. I think it's going to be really exciting. All district play is happening right now, uh, with the exception of Super 5A. Uh, So there's a lot to break down. Uh, Let's start off with 6A. You alluded to it. There's just a lot going on in this district. Uh, Two of the big games from this past week. Uh, First off, you're looking at that Franklin win over Eastwood. That was a phenomenal, phenomenal back-and-forth game. Uh, Got to get your take on that one. You you, you were there, man. I got to get your take on that one bro I can't wait to hear that one all right, here, I'll lay it out for you, Alex. So, battle of the two best quarterbacks. That's the storyline going into this game. It's Andrew Martinez on one side with the Eastwood Troopers. It's Cameron Bird on the other side. Now, you you were talking up Cameron Bird a lot, and I, I jumped yeah. on board a little late, but, man, this guy is really – his vision and the way that you kind of described him, his execution on those just easy passes, it's just so precise. And he's his attention to detail is there. He gets a lot of players involved. He mixes in the run really nicely and I'm talking about himself as a running quarterback I mean he finished the day 121 yards on the ground pair of rushing scores finished with almost 300 yards through the air uh, three passing touchdowns he was the better quarterback on Friday simply because he played four quarters of complete football now if you're going to ask me who's the more dynamic quarterback I might look toward Andrew Martinez who raced away with an 80 yard run in this game and I'm sure you saw that clip that was he's going through defenders left and right I mean and he loses his shoe at the 50 so he it was just one of those runs that was so special to watch um the the three there the 
th- the two interceptions that he threw, those were a little, those were very costly because if um, he hadn't had those unforced errors early in the game, I think Eastwood wins this at home. Um, Franklin, you got to give them all the credit though. They, they really, um, they fought hard in this game defensively. They locked down Shea Smith uh, balling out. I mean, he's, he's really coming through on the defensive side and welcome back Steven Powers. He's back yeah. in the mix at the linebacker position. Uh, he was, he was a little quiet in the past coverage game on Friday, but whenever there was a run, he was the first to stop. He was all over, all over the field when it came to the run plays. And I think that's going to bode well for Franklin moving forward. I mean, Eastwood's that running gun team that you're worried about passing through the air. I guess you're worried about that with Montwood as well. Um, but you look at Eastlake, that's a team that likes to run the football. I, I came away uh, out of, after this game thinking Franklin's the best team in the city. And I, I thought their defense was what impressed me um, more than anything. I mean, this defense was able to slow down Eastwood in the end. I know it was a back and forth shootout, but I think that's just how some of these games go. But when it mattered, they came through. That defense shut down uh, Eastwood in the in the final uh, drive of the game and stopped them from scoring. I think that's where it really matters. Yeah, and, and even going back to the previous week when um, you know when Franklin had that forty nine twenty eight lead against Montwood, which really showed me that even in, in a game that, that you could put up points going back to, to two weeks ago, they still have a defense that can create some separation and, and get that three-score lead against another explosive offense like Montwood has with an explosive receiver. So I think it does, you know, even though you, you look at the score and people are like, well, you know, how, do you, how can you guys say Franklin's, or Franklin's defense is up to par when they allow 47 points? So you got to give a little credit to Eastwood, uh, you know, just like you mentioned, Andrew Martinez. But to be able to get it done um, in crunch time and to be able to now have a full deck of cards with, you know, Mr. Powers back in that lineup. And then Shea Smith, I mean, is he a safety? Is he an edge rusher? Is he a cover corner? I mean, having that type of versatility um, and a playmaker, not just somebody you can move down there that, that, that can athletically do it, but somebody that can athletically do it and provide you with production. I think that's going to be big for Franklin to continue to evolve their defense with their leader coming back into the fold. And, um, you know, to me with Franklin, it does start with that quarterback, you know, with Cameron Bird. And you look at his last – Three games, 95% completion percentage as Andrews, 22 out of 23. And then the next week, 71% at Montwood, against Montwood at home. And then last week on the road, 71%. And then you mentioned something that, that, that speaks volumes to how poised this kid plays is, you know, he has great vision and a great feel. You know, the previous three games, he didn't really run the ball that much. And then you look at the past two games where really it kind of matters a little bit in district play. He runs for 139 against uh, Montwood, and then he, he follows that up with two scores and 121 yards against Eastwood. He has a good feel of it. You know, he's not a guy like Andrew Martinez who can easily escape pressure. Bird's going to sit in that pocket. He's going to wait. He knows he has weapons, like you mentioned. So when he runs the ball like the way that he has the past couple of weeks, that adds an extra dimension, and that's why you see – three straight weeks with 40 or more points. And then now, you know, back-to-back weeks where there's 49 and then 55, that's going to be tough to stop for any defense. And I think that alone mixed with that defense, Adrian, you know, looking at that, you know, going ahead and looking at that Eastlake game coming up. I mean, it's going to be sort of pick your poison as far as how you're going to try to stop Franklin. Um, but one thing that I want to talk up though, is that Eastlake defense, you know, that's going to be a big challenge. It's been a little bit underrated. I think mm. this year, you know, looking at the top of the standings of these two teams and, and, you know, that's going to, be a big key for me in this game you know the east lake defense you're looking at some of the games that they've the lack of points that they've allowed you know you're we're sort of waiting to see 
you know, this East Lake defense sort of, you know, maybe fall apart. Well, they haven't. They've only allowed 69 points in five games, and this is a very veteran-type defense. So, you know, we're going to have two strengths going at each other, that explosive Franklin offense that's really taken off since that Andrews game. Um, and then really what, to me, has been a, a solid wall. And, and more than anything, I mean, you can look at East Lake's defense, and you're not going to see the stats. You're, you're not going to see the sacks or the interceptions. They play stout. They play sound, and that's really going to be a key. And Franklin plays sound on offense, so that's going to be a very, very interesting matchup. To, as we talk about those top of the top of the the standings matchup, that's going to decide oh so much in that district. Real quick, back to Franklin. I, how did they not think of this before to use their their targets like Miles McWhorter, Bo Sparks? I mean, this guy's amazing. This guy, this wide receiver is badass, Alex. And I look at Bo Sparks. I look at Dominic Hernandez, Dominic Arellano, uh, Franco Hernandez, who in this game had over a hundred receiving yards. Like they have weapons galore. But then you look on the other side with Eastwood. I would love to have Curtis Murillo on my team as a wideout, yeah. and I'd love to have Michael Caldera as a wideout as well. And I, I like what they do with the run game. Samuel Lopez, they got Jake uh, Jake Chanowski. He's a he's a nice tailback as well. I mean, they these two offenses are high power offenses. Uh, I guess that leads me to my I, my next thing with this Franklin team. I wonder if they're going to go back to having Stephen Powers back at, at the tailback position, or have Shea Smith come back and play a little bit of offense, or if they like what they have right now and they don't want to deviate from it. I think they like what they have. I think you're going to see a wrinkle, obviously, this weekend against a team like Eastlake, where if you need Stephen Powers to run the ball in a short yard of situation, he may be your guy. Of course, I think anything inside the five, where they're going inside the five-yard line, driving in the red zone, I think he's definitely either inside the, the five-yard line back. But what I look at all these names that you mentioned – Wait, I want, you to, I want me, you to tab that right there. I want you to bookmark that because I feel like he's Stephen Powers is going to take a touchdown in a very significant game. I'm sorry, go oh, back. No, no doubt. Oh, no doubt. I, I, and especially in this game, because, you know, this we game, this game coming up, I talked about the East, the tease the East Lake defense a little bit and how important, you know, his experience in doing that. And obviously not only his experience, but let's just say his beast mode of how big that he is and, and you know, being that tough yes. wrestler guy. But, you know, with Franklin's offense, I think they're fine with what they have. This actually reminds me, and you may remember this, Adrian, correct me if I'm wrong, it was either 2018, 2019 with Danny Walther and he had – uh, both the Clark brothers, you had Gabe Stonewall, uh, you know, you had a couple of running backs where, and then there were some injuries that happened in that year that really broke that team down. But this really reminds me of what Franklin wants to be. They want to be multiple. Um, they, of course, they're going to want to spread you out. I'm not talking multiple about their formations, but in terms of what they do, they want to have different guys touch the ball. Sparks have nine catches. Uh, McWhorter maybe have four or five out of the backfield. Dominic Hernandez have six to seven catches and maybe a touchdown. You know, obviously, Sparks is the leader of that group, and he's just a junior, and he's been tabbed the leader of that group even before he's broken out really the past couple of weeks in terms of, of big production. But I think what they want to do is just keep defenses off balance, and especially when you have dynamic defenses like the East Lake defense that they're coming up being able to develop those weapons and, and being able to add and yeah throwing in a wrinkle um you know how about Shay smith maybe even as a as a 
as a change of pace quarterback yes. with Steven Powers back in there, you know, maybe inside the red zone. Those are, I think, wrinkles that we can see just to make them a little bit more dynamic as the, the you know, the, the, the competition sort of raises and the stakes raise higher as you go into district play. So, yes, I could see Franklin really, uh, particularly this week, reaching in the bag of tricks and really kind of putting their athletes in the best position. I think every coaching staff wants to do that. And I think with the depth that Franklin is showing this year in terms of star power, maybe not depth at every position, but in depth in terms of, of their budding star power, you know, that's something that can really, really help this team have a stronghold on that one six eight race. Great memory on that 2018 roster. You got uh, Danny Walther on the team. James McClain Green was on that team. Oh, my man. Uh, Number five. There you go. There you go. Uh, Mendoza was on. Tosh Crenshaw, he was yes, on that team uh, yeah. too. David Powers, Gabe Stonewall, uh, Mikey Hack. That yeah, was a, he was on that, that was team. another one. How about uh, Kelly, Chris Kelly? He was he was a badass. He was like he was that change of pace quarterback. He played oh, like yeah. that uh, Taysom Hill role. <laughs> you know, and, and that's and that's how I could see you know coaches go off of that. You know, a lot of coaches will go back. Okay, what worked for us a couple years ago with almost that same personnel. Now you maybe you don't have a six three receiver like you do at Stonewall or a five nine uh, slot receiver. I would always call him a technician, Mike Hack, but. You have players that are in those similar similar molds, and with Franklin, with the way that they, you know, with the way Coach Walker does his offense, and, and he's always talking about putting the best players on the field and, and putting the ball in their hands in good positions. I think that's what you're going to see as the weeks go on, and honestly, that's what you're going to need come playoff time, man. That's what you're going to need when you go out of town and you're playing these teams that are bigger, stronger, faster. Put something they haven't seen on tape. Put something that you know, you know, someone can execute. And that's what I think – that's where probably Franklin is evolving. That's a good catch there, AJ. So the East Lake Pebble Hills game was very interesting. Pebble Hills leads 14-10 at the half. I'm sure that doesn't surprise you. But what does surprise me is East Lake goes in the second half and outscores them 23 to nothing. They, they shut them out in the second half. Uh, and I'm not surprised about that East Lake defense because you've talked that up so much. I'm just surprised that it was close at the beginning and that East Lake really had to have a big second half to come back in this game. Yeah, and you know, that's that's the product I just think of Eastlake, just learning how to figure out how to win games. Um, you know, we're sort of used to Eastlake being a team that's just going to throw all over you, put up points and really set the tone. Well, I think what they found out over the past couple of weeks is that, you know, maybe offensively teams have sort of figured them out as, in terms of their past game. And then obviously, you know, it looks like maybe some of the receivers aren't as strong as what they've been in the past couple of weeks. So what I think Coach Rodriguez and his, and his club and his coaching staff is doing is playing to their strengths about running the ball and trusting their defense and really kind of sticking to a simple formula. And I think that's what you probably saw in that second half. Um, you know, like you mentioned, they jumped out to that lead early on in the game. And, it, it, you know, you know that East is going to come back and they really put the pressure in the second half and they force you to make mistakes. That's what I really think about that East Lake defense is they really force you to make mistakes with their speed and the experience. And then, you know, when you keep it basic, and I know for the second straight week, um, listening to our show last week, um, talking about making that switch to Elijah Uribe taking over at quarterback, you know, whether it's him running up the gut 20 times, um, whether it's him throwing the ball, Eastlake is finding those type of strengths to wear down teams. And one thing that we got to start talking about, um, I think as well in terms of Eastlake, is their running, is their offensive line. We really got to give those guys a lot of love because when you look at Eastlake right now, um, you know, when you look at their their overall sort of, of, of – 
of makeup. I mean, you're talking about a, a, an, an offensive line that is really pushing things forward, and they're averaging just under six yards per carry. You're right. Eribe's is averaging six and a half yards. Now you're talking about a guy wow. who's wearing the who, number seven. His number seven is red to every defense he faces. I mean, he is the key and he's still averaging six and a half yards per carry. Um, you know, that really says that really says the most about how good this offensive line can be. And I think that's one thing we also got to look about is how they can wear teams down really in second halves of games. And I think that's probably what you saw with Eastlake, and that's dangerous. When you have a team that can impose their will with you offensively, and not only offensively, but defensively, that's where you see those 23-point swings in the second half is because they're going with their strength. And that's not something we've seen out of Eastlake. We've known them to be sort of a athletic, fast, maybe finesse to a certain point as far as their speed and how they put up points, but not this year's team. This team is tough. They can stymie you, and not only that, they will punch you in the mouth and basically make you – fill that box with 10 guys to compete with their front five, front six, and bring in that H back to box two. And I think that's really the biggest takeaway for Eastlake this year is that this isn't your typical Eastlake. This is a hard-to-beat Eastlake team because they are a hard-nosed group. And that's something that, you know, we don't really see in 1-6-A, but we're seeing it here. And obviously they're 5-0 and for a reason. They definitely are. And they're atop District 1-6-A. Franklin's right behind them at 3-2 and two on the season. Then you've got a four-way tie for uh, third and fourth place, basically. It's Americas, Coronado, Montwood, Pebble Hills, all having one-and-one one records. The Eastwood Troopers, who we'll talk about a little bit more later when we preview that game against Montwood, they're last right now, along with Socorro, at 0-2 on the season. They've lost three in a row. They're 2-3 and three on the year. Uh, definitely want to get into that a little bit more. But switching over to to another division that's very interesting. 1-5-A-2, Canyon Tio leading the way. 5-1 and one on the season so far, followed by Isleta, Horizon, Parkland. Now, it... After watching last week, of course, Kenny Tio uh, races away with a Bel Air uh, with a victory against Bel Air, 52-20. The big takeaway I had in this one is, Alex, when's the next time we're seeing LJ Martin play four quarters? I, I mean, he's out by halftime. This guy kills it in the first half, and then the, the coaching staff takes him out because they simply, you know, they, they want to save him, rightfully so. But this, this team has been uh, clobbering groups left and right. Yeah, and their biggest challenge could be this week. This could be their biggest challenge when you're talking about Parkland. But, you know, to your point, even that's a stretch because of how well Canotillo's playing – you know, complimentary football. You know, it's not so – to me, yes, LJ Martin's the, the big player. He's going to get his yards. But the complimentary football that we're seeing from their special teams unit to the defense and what Canotillo's known, that's their calling card. But I think that's really tough to beat. You know, they play sound as it is. Um, you know, but when they're executing and playing as sound as they are, that's – I just – I have a tough time seeing anybody in that district. You know, nobody really in that district has blown us away. You know, even we have questions about Parkland and, and really – as the season has gone gone on, you see where Parkland is lacking in that experience. And I think that's really the only knock on Parkland this year. But when you look at the other end of the of the spectrum with Gano Tio, they have the experience. They have the depth. They have the defensive playmakers with Chuy Carrillo on that defensive side. Their front three is nasty and consistent. Um, their offensive line, you know, their experience, I think they returned four starters, and you're seeing that with LJ back there. I, it's hard for me to, to even – 
think that Parkland can keep this one close just because of the high that Cano Tio's on. Hey, when you're hot, you're hot. I watched the softball team win six games this weekend over the and the enchilada there team. You go. You know, there you go. When you're talking about football or any sport, you're hot, you're hot. And right now, to me, Cano Tio is hot. And, and that's where I really feel like, you know, if the, if they go in and blow away teams in the district, you know, I know some people probably don't like that when you're talking about blowing teams away in district and then going into the playoffs. But I think that could just be continued confidence building for Canotillo. And it's not going to be a negative if they blow everybody away in their district because they played some close games. They played a close game with a good Burgess team. They took Del Valle down to really the last play of that game. And Del Valle is a very good Division I 5A team. Um, th- you know, this Canotillo team, to me, the ceiling is very, very high. The only thing, just like like you mentioned, though, and what's gonna we gotta watch out for are those injuries. Get those guys out when it's twenty eight nothing, and Coach Brooks has the feeling. Save your guys, rest your guys, especially LJ Martin, Devin Granados. They're gonna be important to their playoff run. So yeah, it's hard for me to see anybody challenging the district, challenging them for district, and that includes Parkland. Well, let's talk about the Matadors. I mean, they lose this past week, and uh, oh man. I don't even know what to call it. It's not an upset fashion because what El Dorado did beating them 50 to 46 with Thomas coming back with that kickoff return for a touchdown, walk-off kickoff return for a touchdown. Have you ever seen anything like that, Alex? I mean, credit to the El Dorado Aztecs for getting that. But, man, if you're Parkland, you're just going, we should have won that game. That game is over. Yeah, I've seen walk-off extra points being taken back for two to win a game. Um, You know, I've seen (coughs) – excuse me, I've seen pick sixes that end overtimes. But, yeah, that was definitely a first. And I got to give a shout-out to Colin Beaver where he's on the the highlight show. And he says that, you know, he's over there setting out his video – editing the previous score because that was supposed to be the game winner oh and there goes the Eldorado guy going back for the touchdown and he you know so it surprised everybody man you know as far as those plays but you know to me um when I look at the bigger picture of football teams that's gonna make them better that type of loss that type of 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 down uh being down in the dumps like Parkland really has been this year which is, is is surprising for all of us but you know, we continue to talk about that tough schedule that, that coach Eric Franz says has been pushing. And I think inside that locker room, I can guarantee you they're not worried about one and five. I can guarantee you they're more concerned about getting either that second or top seed to be able to host the first round playoff game and get themselves in position to be ready for the playoffs. Yeah, imagine we're talking next week about a, a Parkland upset against Canyotillo and the whole division is flipped. I would I really wouldn't be that surprised at all. I mean, this is the this is the district title right here. This is the matchup. Um and, and you know, not to take away from teams like Isleta and Horizon who've gotten more wins than Parkland on the season so far. It's just a testament to the Matadors and where they've been. I mean, what? How many is it back to back to back district title winners out of this out of this Three district? Straight. There Three straight, and, there and you go. look at the way that they started off the season with Eastwood, who's obviously struggling now, but you know a team that they probably still they should have won that game. Andrus is going to win District Two Five A D Two. East Lake, obviously, we've talked about them. Bowie's having a down year. Del Valle, they hung with Del Valle for a little bit. Del Valle is obviously the best team in Super Five A, and then El Dorado's probably that second best team. So they haven't played any slouches, and I think that's you know honestly when we're looking at. at Will Parkland turn the corner and beat Canotillo? To me, it started yesterday or maybe even started Saturday as far as Parkland's preparation. And to me, 
them having a good week of practice, um, you know, figuring themselves out, kind of picking themselves up a little bit off the turf. But like I said, I don't think that one in five record is, is doing anything to the psyche of this team. I think what it's doing, it's preparing them for this moment right here. One in five, everybody's going to count them out against Canotillo. Canotillo's playing hot. This is Parkland's chance to really kind of get back into what we've been used to, uh, what we're used to from Parkland. And even if they don't, I still think this team is going to be okay come playoff time because they're young, because they haven't really figured it out yet at the quarterback position as well. They're still, you know, I think that's been the talk over the past couple of weeks, you know, Paul, hearing Paul McKinnon, you know, kind of talk about where Parkland's going with their defense on our, on our football Friday night show. They're starting to figure that out too. They still have time. Like I said, for me and what I look at, with Parkland and their recent success, they care more about the playoffs. Yes, going nine and one is great. It looks good, um, you know, gets you the headlines. But I think what Parkland's been through the past three years, winning district titles and even going back to four years where they won in it, where they won an area round game, is they know by by district round you better be ready. It doesn't matter what your record is. You can get into the playoffs at four and six and still make noise. I think that's really the message Coach France is relaying, and I think this week. We'll see if that message is still being resonated or if these boys really can figure it out and go over there and, and really shake up, like you mentioned, shake up that 1-5 AD2 district. Uh, you touched a lot on Super 5A. I have nothing else to add on it. Let's touch on it when we talk on our weekly preview. Uh, I want to touch on 2-5A2, like you alluded to. Who's the, best pl- who's the best team in this district? Is it still Andrus? Are you still on board with Andrus? Yeah, you know, to me, Andrus is the best team. The only knock on them is is their depth because they've already lost Malachi Doe, um, you know, their star runner. Their numbers this year aren't as high as, as they've been. When I say numbers, uh, everybody, that's the number of players that they have on their roster. That's down. I want to say now it may be like in the low 20s, high 30s. Um, no week way. one, it was at 33. Yeah, man, they've, they've really taken a hit with COVID um, <clears throat> over the past year. So that's my only concern about Andres. Um, But they are, I mean, they had to me – you know, I don't know if you've watched the watched the uh, the huddle that uh, that Jeremiah Cooper went, put out last oh, week against Austin, oh, but that oh one-handed my catch, the one-handed catch. On, the, what did he have on his glove? I, I, there's something on there. I don't know if it's that or just. I think he may just be talent on those gloves, my man. Because geez, yes. I mean that, and not only that, but the way that he's, you know, th- that Austin offense is tough to defend, but. His hip movement and his hip explosion when I'm seeing him sort of bite on the play action, the receiver gets behind him, but he's so quick enough to shift his hips and get in front of a pass when you're thinking, okay, your average D back is probably going to get burnt because his hips are all over the place. He is just such an explosive athlete. And I'm like I said, I'm not talking about the long runs. I'm just talking about the little plays where he can explode those hips and, and break up a pass or get an interception. And obviously he's going to take any 60-yard screen pass where there's bad tackling to the house. But, you know, he's going to become more of a factor on offense for Andrews. I think he has to without Malachi Doe. But, you know, the way that he naturally makes plays on defense with the teams in that district, there's nobody out there that, that's going to be able to account for him, whether it's blocking him or, or reading him off. There's not very many experienced quarterbacks in this district um, other than Nathan Atala, which that could be a very interesting matchup in the last week of the season. Um, and it's crazy to even say that I, my own, the only team that I think that can give Andrews problems is Jefferson. And that, and that's even talking about a Burgess team who's really improved over the past few weeks. So, you know, I think right now Andrews is head and shoulders number one. Burgess is two, Jefferson is three, and then after that, don't ask me because it's it's too much of a, of a 
there's too right. many teams that are really just equal. And to me, the, that three to five or that basically for that fourth playoff spot, we thought it was going to be between Jefferson and Irvin. Well, I think Jefferson last week proved that they're, they're a three seed. Now, you know, who is that four seed? Is it the surging El Paso High Tigers who have played everybody close the past couple of weeks? Can Irvin figure it out? And we're never going to count on Austin as long as Eric Pachardo is the head coach. So to me, the top is heavy as it's been in this district. But man, that fourth playoff race, that race for that fourth playoff spot is going to be fun coming up in the next couple of weeks to see how that one plays out. Could be, it could have what we don't want to, what we want to avoid, Adrian, but I think I'm going to give you a hot tip right now. <laughs> the fourth seed for that district is going to come down to a coin flip. I'm going to oh. put that out there right now. I'm oh. going to say it right now. Oh my gosh, Alex. You know how much I love coin flips. <laughs> um, hey, I need to ask I, I needed to ask you about the game that you were supposed to cover for us on Football Friday night. Jefferson Irvin, as you were following this one, Silver Foxes defeat the Rockets 36-28. How'd you see this one? You know, I, I thought it was a very impressive win by Jeff to, to be able to put that game to put up a, a, a put up 36 points and continue to play to their strengths, which is their offensive playmakers. I think that's a very, very good – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reverse that. This is a very mature win for Jefferson. Um, you know, good win is, you know, a couple of weeks ago when, when they took apart Bel Air and they beat Bel Air 33-14. That's a good win. Alpine, um, going out of town and coming back, that's a good win. Now, when we're talking about bouncing back from a tough loss against Burgess, probably a game they may be feeling – they probably should have had a better chance to win and then to be able to, to, to go through to prepare, have the game canceled with all the drama that was allegedly going on and then to go out there and take care of business against Irvin. That's a mature win for me. And that's really what I'm looking for this time of year for teams like Jefferson that are experienced, you know, maybe haven't had recent success to be able to say, hey, we need to go out here and win an Irvin game. When they go out there and will themselves and be able to set themselves up to continue to, to stay you know, in that second, third seed, that's a mature win. And I think, you know, this week is another opportunity for them to grab another mature win and continue to mature their team into a winning team. You know, when you don't have a winning formula like a Jefferson program does, but you have kids that have played good football together for the last three years, your senior year, you're trying to mature your football sharp, your, your football mental things that, that I'm thinking of. And that's, Really what I see when I see them handle the team like they did, the way that they did against Irvin. Because Irvin's still a really good team that's going to sneak up on teams. They're very tough. Um, you know, this is a team that's going to give everybody that they play a run for their money. But to see Jefferson handle business like that, it's a big mature win for the Foxes and Coach Martinez. And, you know, one of those wins that, you know, you're coming off that, like I mentioned, coming off that loss against Burgess, maybe this is a stepping stone win for them to really take it the next level. And if they put – if they – if they beat El Paso high down, then I really think this Jefferson team could possibly be for real as far as, you know, November 5th where they face Andres on the road. So, you know, that's – we talked about them controlling their own destiny. They still have it. Um, but, to you know, with that – my biggest takeaway from the Urban win is that destiny continues to mature as far as, you know, them on the trajectory of, of doing what, you know, obviously is the impossible but still very possible. We got to go back to uh, what, who you just touched on. It is your El Paso Tigers. El Paso High. What, what is this? What happened, Alex? You, this is – two weeks ago we were talking about them upsetting Irvin. This week we are talking about them beating Isleta. The job Ray Aguilar has done – I mean, 
this is the, what a turnaround. I, at the start of the season, we were ready to bury this team. They lost to Socorro. They gave Socorro their first victory in, uh, f- what, five years. And look at what El Paso High has done since. They've won two straight. They're coming into this game with a lot of momentum. I don't want to overhype this team, but I want to say from where they've been, just trying to get as many wins as they can to right now where they're at least in the mix and in this conversation. Uh, I love it. I love it for the Tigers. Yeah, and to me, it starts with the quarterback play. I think that's really the biggest improvement that you're seeing with El Paso High. Jerry Chiders is becoming one of my favorite players in town. Um, you know, that's a tough club to get into, Jerry. Nice. So I, you know, I, I'll get, I love everybody, but I, I, the pedestal, I, I sort of raise it a little bit higher. Jerry Chiders, you're looking at his past two games at Irvin. He goes 17 of, 20, uh, 17 of 24, 230 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Wow. Yesleta. 14 of, of 24, 340 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. The previous 340? three games, 340? 340, the previous uh, three games or the previous uh, three games before that, he threw two interceptions against Riverside, an interception against Clint, an interception against Socorro. Still had a good game against Socorro, taking care of the ball. That's where I'm getting at. The fact that this kid is taking care of the ball and making plays with his legs. He's averaged, he averaged eight and a half yards per carry last week against Yasleta, had 119 yards. Going back against Irvin, he had 84 yards rushing. It's the little things. Being able to know when to bail, not forcing it into coverage, that's good coaching. And Coach Aguilar, like you said, deserves a lot of credit. But to me, it starts with Jerry Chitas. This kid is really, really taking strides. And that's something that El Paso High hasn't had um, in a while. They haven't had that legitimate quarterback. And I think you're starting to really see that. And then, oh, yeah, they also have another junior who's really, really starting to to become a factor, and that's Pedro Chavez. He had the big touchdowns a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, this kid's really starting to come into his own as well, just a junior. Um, played a little bit on JV last year, so he has he has some experience. But you're looking at the steady production. Now, he's not bringing you big numbers, but you're looking at going back to Socorro game, he averages four and a half, 4.8 yards per carry. Irvin, that big overtime win, six and a half yards per carry, three touchdowns, two coming late. And then last week, just a shot, a tick under four yards per carry, but still pushes the needle 63 yards. If they can get that 60 to 90 yard gauge from uh, Pedro Chavez, that's going to help Mr. Chidas out in that backfield. So I think what Coach Aguilar is figuring out is he has two very good playmakers that he needs to continue to develop. And those are two playmakers that can give any defenses, including Andres, a little bit of fits, you know, going forward. So I think that's really what's credit. And like I said, Jerry Chidas, for me, his uh, – when you get into that pedestal, your huddle gets watched every week and your stats get looked at every week. So that's why I'm pretty well versed in Jerry Chidas' stats because I've been real impressed with the juniors' progression over the past few weeks. Oh, I, I have too, Alex. I mean, they, I've been impressed with this whole squad and just the fact that they're in this mix. I, I'm totally with you on that. Uh, I want to move to Foray real quick uh, and touch on, and this is where we'll, we'll kind of open up some of the preview talk, but when you look at last week, Riverside hung 70 points against Alpine, beat them 70 to six. Uh, Mountain View played competitive against Pecos, lost 58-41. Uh, Ch- Clint falls to Chapin, 42-20 in that game. And San Eli uh, blanks Tornillo, 27 nothing. Assuming Riverside handles San Eli, which is probably going to be the case this Friday, uh, my eyes are just on Clint Fabens in a big way. This should be a really interesting game out of the 4A ranks. Yeah, it should. I mean, Fabens has played everybody close. I mean, San Angelo Lakeview is the only team that's beat them by more than a couple scores. And that was still 
a close game, I believe, early on. And it was only a 20-point loss, 28-8. to And Lakeview, of course, everybody knows that's a really good team. Um, so, yeah, they played everybody close. I think Fabian just is going to be able to muck up the game just like they normally they normally do uh, with their run game. And, and, you know, obviously, Clint has a very good run game as well. So, they're I mean, these two teams really know each other well. You know, you're talking about preparing as far as what the other team's going to do. That's not going to be an issue. Um, you know, I think Fabian's plays them close. I really feel like Clint maybe felt like they should have maybe made that chaping game a little closer. I think it was a lot closer than a 42-20 score um, led to, led on at the end of the game. Clint always plays everybody tough, those 5As. They always give them a tough challenge. But, you know, I think this is the one where I think Clint may struggle early on with Fabians. But, you know, Clint, to me, their eyes are on Riverside. You know, they, that's their goal this year. But Fabians can play spoiler. Um, you know, Fabians has played some very close games. They've only been outscored by 11 points all year long if you add up all their total points, uh, points for and points against. So, you know, even though they've lost four straight, they've been in pretty much every game that they've lost. I mean, you got Cricket going back to that Tornillo game. They took one on the chin against Tornillo a few weeks ago or at the beginning of the season. But, you know, I really think that this team is going to – it's a district game. They're going to get up. And, you know, like I said, for Clint, you know, really staying consistent, I think, is what Clint wants to do. They don't want to let any opponent kind of creep up on them because, like we mentioned, you know, their Super Bowl or the district title um, is next week against Riverside in a sense. All right, I want to talk a little recruiting storylines with you, Alex, before we get to our full week preview uh, coming here to week seven. First off with recruiting, want to touch on Tyrone McDuffie, Parkland offensive lineman who this weekend made an, uh, a visit, actually a, an official visit it looked like, to Colorado, uh, met the Buffalo coaching staff, had an article written by 247 Sports on him and just as who he is as a prospect. Look, this guy is six foot three, two eighty. He's out of the class of 2023, meaning he's a junior right now, uh, has offers from UTEP, has offers from New Mexico, Incarnate word and now Colorado who hosted him Uh, your thoughts on Tyrone McDuffie making a nice visit this weekend you know the weekend is nice um for for Mr. McDuffie he's really sort of come on as far as as a recruit um as far as name name recognition I'm gonna say this though what we're gonna see him really really explode is gonna be over the summer I know he's he was invited I want to say somebody reach out to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say he was invited to Alabama's top prospect camp. Um, he may be even invited to Texas's camp. You know, this is a guy that you're going to see really this coming summer, see his recruiting take off. And it's really because of the work that he's going to put in at these camps. And that's where we've seen McDuffie really take off. He's been to a lot of different camps. He's already gotten his name out there. Um, obviously, you know, record-wise, you know, this is not a banner year for Parkin to really to help raise his recruiting profile like he's done with his, a couple other former Matadors. But I think for McDuffie, that Colorado offer is going to turn into more Power 5 offers. I think when, when coaches – for the first time, you know, what's one thing that we got to think about with these 2023s and these 2022s is coaches really haven't physically evaluated these prospects in person because they haven't been able to go out and recruit. So next summer, uh, when when he's able to go out and when more coaches are able to see him, watch his offers blow up, man. You know, his footwork has been something that a lot of coaches have talked about since he was in eighth grade of how good a footwork he has. And in Division One offensive line coaches, whether it's at the FBS level or the FCS level, they salivate over that. So 
as well as McDuffie has done so far in his recruiting, I think the future, he's not even touching the ceiling as far as, you know, being able to be ranked. I think going into his senior year, once he gets evaluated more, like by, by the 24-7 sports guys, by the rival guys, we could see three stars next to his name. He's a three-star to me. Just anybody that's 6'3", 280, and they can move like him. And not only that, he's a pretty good basketball player as well. You got to slap three stars on him. So I think for that over this summer, you're going to see that really, really explode. And you're going to probably see a lot of very good Power 5 offers come his way. So I think for McDuffie, it's continuing to, to do what he's doing in the season. But once the season ends, get back in that weight room, you know, continue to work. And then once cap time comes around, show up and show out. And you're going to see those offer lists really expand for McDuffie. Yo, you're telling me he's a baller too? He hoops? He can hoop. He hoops. I know no he hoops. No way. He hoops. Yes, sir. I love it. That is such a great – that's a great nugget right there. Uh, UTEP football hosted several local uh, recruits this weekend, um, most of them coming from the class of 2023, some even from the class of 2024. So really trying to dip in with some of those juniors, sophomores. Uh, Candy Tia running back LJ Martin was there. Eastlake linebacker Hector Enojos was there, along with America's wideout Chris Davis and quarterback Mark Moore. Two Franklin representatives this weekend, Cameron Bird and athlete Shay Smith, who's been playing linebacker, pass rusher, safety, you name it. Uh, Eastwood offense alignment, Noah Medina, and along with Parkland running back Isaiah Beasley. Your your thoughts on any of these prospects making a trip out to uh, the, the Sun Bowl and watching UTEP football play? You know, what's crazy is we've talked about each of these kids, whether it's been in length or whether by mention um, throughout our podcast this season and even on Football Friday Night, I mean, those are playmakers. You know, I, I think the one that really stands out to me, um, and everybody's going to kind of be like, what? Like, this is, didn't expect that. But Hector Hinojos um, from nice Eastlake, yeah. I think that is going to be a very interesting prospect as far as like, where he goes, where he sort of projects. Cause you know, if you look at, at really like his stats and the numbers that he puts up, I mean, this kid's talented and he's not only that, but he's versatile when you're talking about like his college uh, prospects, cause he plays an outside outside backer right now um, as far as him being a junior and he still has this year to go next year to grow. He could turn out to be a six two, 200 pounder that could be a safety, you know, like that's, what he really, really intrigues me because he's a big part of that defense. And not only that, but, you know, you're looking at special teams where he's blocked a punt early on in the year against Parkland as well. I saw that clip, um, you know, and, and you look at, at really his tackling numbers each week. I mean, you know, he, he, he's <laughs> you're looking at him here and I laugh because every week he's over 14 tackles. Um, that's been his lowest output against Pebble Hills. And he has five tackles for loss of that outside linebacker position. And it is like a, a three, three, five, maybe like a three, four slant that they try to run, um, you know, they move him around everywhere. So he has versatility. And I really think that's an interesting name that could, that could come about. Um, but also to Cameron Bird, um, you know, you're looking at, at what I'm looking at with UTEP, with Hardison, you know, sort of becoming an upperclassman in the next couple of years, you got to find a quarterback from the future. And, and Cameron Bird has shown that he's pretty 
darn accurate. Um, and that's what UTEP really needs at, at that quarterback position or what Dana Demo is running in their offense. So I think that's another dark horse name that you can really kind of see up UTEP's sleeve. But, you know, honestly, the, the, the key now is, is, you know, for these kids is can they earn those scholarships? It's not like in the Sean Cougar days where every El Paso kid's getting a scholarship now. You got to earn it under the Demo staff. Kind of going back to Mike Price days, you know, where a lot of El Paso kids are walk-ons now, but still good to see these kids' names out there. And, and obviously the main name that, I, that for 2023 for, you know, me being a UTEP fan, I want to see him. He's already in the orange and blue. I want to see him in the UTEP orange and blue, LJ Martin. I mean, this guy's, you know, it, there's talk that he, there's talk that he could play quarterback next year for Cano Theo or that he is Cano Theo's quarterback next year. The kid's an athlete, you know, whether, whether LJ Martin's a division one running back or not, he's a division one athlete. And I, I don't want to see LJ Martin go anywhere else, but UTEP in my opinion. I love the name right there with LJ uh, being thrown in the mix. Uh, I like the fact that you mentioned Hector Hinojos. Uh, just thought it was pretty interesting in general, just seeing UTEP uh, host these up-and-coming recruits this past Saturday. And I, I know they'll be doing that in the future. They've done that already in the past. In that New Mexico game, had some recruits out there as well. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see who's the next batch of guys that they'll bring on. want to touch on one thing also. Let, let's be honest. If I mention this guy on Football Friday Night, it's not a big um, mistake because this guy – if he could, he would be catching passes from Mason Standerfer. But this is hot off the press, and I think it's huge news. K.J. Lewis, you covered him uh, so many different times, Alex, throughout his Chapin basketball career. He gets an offer today from the reigning national champions, the Baylor Bears. How about that? You know, I, I, this dude, if he continues his tra- uh, trajectory – I mean, are we talking about maybe the first lottery NBA pick or NBA lottery pick in the history of the city of El Paso? I mean, don't do this to me. I'd be too excited. I'd be too excited. I mean, did you see that putback dunk he had in that AAU game? I mean, this kid, he's, he's the real deal, man. He's the real deal. And, you know, you're starting to see, um, you know, offers like that. You're going to see that, you know, his, his stock is going to rise just incrementally, you know, because, you know, in, in increments because of what he's doing. You know, like I mentioned with, with McDuffie, you know, going to these camps upcoming, you know, what he's done in the AAU scene has just been ridiculous, man. And, and yeah, hey. Coach Lewis, let him catch some passes, man. I want to see him jump ball, go up there and, and rip one down from an El Dorado defender in the back of the sack end zone because this kid, I'm sure he could play. He could probably ball too um, in football. But, yeah, I mean, K.J. Lewis, you know, this kid, he, he, we're going we're gonna to be talking about him like we're talking about Aaron Jones right now, man. And, I, you know, th- th- I'm, I'm just going to leave it like that. Y'all, I think y'all could, y'all could use your imagination to see where I'm going there. Oh, I can't wait, man. I, KJ Lewis is on such a great trajectory. He's such a great yeah. person overall. Yep. He would be balling out on the gridiron if he could. I don't think it's just Coach Lewis. I think it's his mom. I mean, and yeah. everybody around him, it's probably him. You know, he's like, it's I true. can't do this. You know, so I, I'm with you completely, though. Great, great stuff for KJ Lewis getting that offer uh, right, right off the press today. So love that. Uh, let's go back. Let's start talking about this this week. And we'll start off with um, we'll start off where we kind of left off with um, two five A Division two. Uh, and I want to talk about a certain game with the El Paso Tigers and the Jefferson Silver Foxes. You alluded to this game, Alex, should be a great one. Uh, El Paso has won back to back Jefferson coming off a big win. Uh, this is, a, this is right here going to be a, a very interesting game that could have playoff implications. Now, if El Paso high wins, 
we're talking about a team who's tied for first place. If Jefferson wins on this one, we're talking about a team that could uh, cement themselves as a potential playoff team. And like you said, if they're able to do it by a lot, if they're able to distance themselves from El Paso at any point in this game and really show that they've took, they've taken full control that bodes very well for the silver foxes. Yeah. I think for both teams, this game is going to set the barometer going forward. Um, here's some hot takes. I'm going to spit at you. If El Paso high beats Jefferson, the Tigers are going to make the playoffs. I, I, it, I just, I don't see wow. how they, how they can falter from where they've come the past couple of weeks. And of course, beating Jefferson, it's going to take a heck of an effort, a Herculean effort, maybe even another double overtime win. Uh, that's what's, you know, that's what really gets a program going. And what Coach Ray Aguilar is trying to build, a 2-0 and start, you're back even at 3-3. Three and three. You beat a Jefferson team that, you know, I'm going to talk about what they're playing for right now, but you beat that Jefferson team. You set yourself up really to control your own destiny. And I think the team, like we mentioned, with, with, with budding playmakers, that's going to go a long way for confidence. Now, the other side on Jefferson, I think if Jefferson wins this game, they're locked into that three seed. I don't see how they fall off of that because if there's a quote-unquote trap game um, for them to fall a game behind themselves and where they want to be for that third-place game, it's going to be this week against El Paso High. So I think if Jefferson is able to – to continue the wave that, that they rode, even going back to that Burgess game where they really gave Burgess all they can handle, bouncing back against Irvin last week. They're locked into that three seed. But like I mentioned, El Paso High, that's, you know, I'm, I'm, no, no one to say I'm rooting for El Paso High, but I think an El Paso High win creates so much chaos in this district because, like I mentioned, you got to take El Paso High as a serious playoff contender after that. And it's crazy to even say, um, but that district, like we, like I mentioned, that district is wide open from, you know, if Jefferson loses this game, it's going to be wide open from three down because you got to talk about, you know, the Austin-El Paso matchups, the, the Jefferson-Austin-El Paso matchups meaning something as far as playoff of so, you know, that's why I really feel like El Paso High can really, really do some damage as far as, you know, really juxtaposing this, the standings going forward with the big win. Um, you know, that, that's my, I'm not saying El Paso High is going to win, but I will predict that if El Paso High wins, the Tigers are in the playoffs. I love it. That's a great prediction right there. Uh, anything on Burgess Austin? Not much on this one. Burgess, Burgess three in a row. They should win this one. Austin's reeling right now, Alex. Three straight losses. Uh, we, we touched on this earlier. Anything that more you want to add on this one? It, it should feel like a it feels like a big Burgess win here yeah I, I would say Burgess is probably like an 18 19 point favorite yeah um but I like like I mentioned I never would count out coach Pichardo so while I really while I feel Burgess you know will win this game it's not going to be surprising to see this a 14 14 game either going into halftime or late fourth quarter you know what I mean as well as Austin has played as far as being the underdog the past couple of years. But yeah, on paper, um, Burgess shouldn't have an issue with Austin. Like you mentioned, Austin's really rebuilding. That rebuilding is sort of turning into reeling now. Um, you know, so, but, but this is one of those games that's going to dictate that. If Burgess goes out there and dusts the floor with him, then we can really say, okay, Austin, you know, what, what, then we got to look a little bit deeper into Austin as far as, you know, can this team pick themselves out of an 0-2 hole and, and, and get themselves in the playoff race? But, you know, I, I'm sort of with you. I think Burgess should cruise. This should be a game where we're continuing to see the confidence of, of their quarterback, Andy Rutledge, and, and really to see, um, you know, Tavares Jones explode the way we thought he would in his senior year. Going to Super 5A, 
El Centro Central back in the mix for an El Paso school taking on. It's Del Valle on the road taking on El Centro Central. And you were at that game. You covered that game. We, we, were, on, uh, we were on the same uh, inside the same press box there, Alex. This is interesting that the 5-1 and one Conquistadors will take on the 2-4 and four Spartans out of town uh, right before they hit district play. Yeah, that's that's a, a very interesting matchup. Honestly, I'm surprised that held water um, as we're looking through, um, you know, looking through COVID. Um, you know, that that's a, that's a tough game. You know, that obviously the travel. I, I recently went out to San Diego. We got to El Centro. We, we were like eight or nine hours in. We still had an hour and a half to San Diego. So it's you know, it's a long drive. It's a, it's a treacherous drive. You know, I hope they. I'm, thinking that they're going to get there Thursday night. Um, and that central team that we saw a couple years ago, I mean, bunch of big athletic kids. That was actually a, a close game until some Del Valle turnovers really turned that right. one on its, on its laurel. So I think for Del Valle, you know, on the road, really a true road game. I mean, we're going to talk about a true road game. That's a true road game. Taking Ooh. care of the football. Jesse Ramos um, has done that. He's a big playmaker. If Del Valle goes out there and takes care of the football, I don't. I think they should win that game. Uh, and and talk about the confidence boost after that, heading into district play, and and you know going out there to being beating a team like that. That's going to be very very big, um, you know, for Del Valle. But you know, I, I like their chances, especially with the way Jesse Ramos. I've been a big Jesse Ramos fan all year long. Um, and then got even in that loss where I got to see him uh, lose against um, Canotillo, still very impressed. But you're looking at where Central's at right now. They're two and four. Um, they've been outscored a little bit. You know, they're coming off of a win last week. So, you know, you're not sure what team you're going to get when you're talking about El Central. I'm going to go down their roster, see if any names kind of jump out at me. I don't really remember any of these ones. I know their quarterback was real tall, but yeah, none of these names jump out. So this is definitely a whole new team from what we saw in 2019. Only other game to touch on at a Super 5A, really. I think the Bel Air-Andrus game is going to be a big one on the Andrus side. I think that you have a great opportunity to get a good win for them in non-district play. Same with El Dorado taking on Fort Stockton. Uh, but the one game I want to touch on, Chapin at Horizon. Is this a trap game for Chapin? You know, that I think so. I think so because of Horizon's ability to put up points. You know, and we're going to probably sound um, – you know, like broken records coming up in district play of where we're going to feel like Horizon's going to be in every game of district plays because they can put up points. So I think really that's going to be a key, you know, for Chapin, um, you know, they've sort of found a niche with, with Mason Standifer. Um, you know, their defense also has been playing pretty well. You're talking about playing, um, you know, teams though that normally are playing offenses that they, they normally aren't going to see in the regular season, you know, you are in district play. You're talking about Clint and Austin and back-to-back weeks. So now you're going back to a spread, um, you know, where it's obviously run base, but you got a lot more speed in the backfield. So that's something early on to keep an eye out. Like, you know, if Horizon jumps out to that lead or Horizon's able to make big plays, I think that's something maybe Chapin hasn't seen um, in a few weeks, even going, you know, going really back to that Andrews game. That may be the most explosive offense that they faced until this point. Um, and even kind of deal to a certain point, you can kind of put them in that explosive um, mold with LJ Martin. But I think this is, it is a trap game because of the fact that over the past two weeks, you've played Austin, you've played Clint, 
Now you got to prepare for two very, very uh, studly dynamic a running back and, and, and running back uh, quarterback con- combo with Jacob Quijas. And of course, um, you know, with Mr. Ernie Garcia, that could lead to some problems for Chapin early. But the way Chapin's putting up points recently and the confidence that they have on offense, I still think they can fight back in the game. But yeah, it would not surprise me to see uh, Horizon, you know, kind of punch him in the mouth with a big play early on. Revisiting our conversation, we, talk, we talked a lot about both Parkland and Canyon Tio. This is the best game uh, of the week out of this district. Now, when you're looking at both these two teams, we touched on it a lot. Alex, let, let's talk predictions right now. I'm, I'm predicting Canyon Tio two touchdowns in this one. Ultimately, I, I think Parkland can do some nice things. Uh, I like Isaiah Beasley on the ground. Uh, I loved, I really, really love DJ Crest Daniels, and he's able to do some really special things at the wideout position, maybe uh, in the top five wide receiver uh, position category right now here in the city of El Paso, and he might not be four, uh, five, four, or three, you know, in that discussion. This is the best game of the week, but I still think the Eagles run away with a two-touchdown win. Yeah, you know, this is – and I know every time Canotillo plays Parkland, the, 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 probably the, the message and maybe not verbatim, but you don't want that to turn into a track meet if you're Canotillo. And I think that's really the only way Parkland has an opportunity to win this game is by the big plays. Um, you know, punt returns kickoff returns, long runs, getting, uh, you know, getting Daniels out, getting DJ Daniels out in space and, and making him make guys miss. That's what I think Canotillo's probably preparing more than anything. They don't want this game to turn into a 45-40 game where, you know, Canotillo's has to put up, you know, they're relying on LJ Martin to answer. I think for Canotillo, it's about being physical, controlling the ball, not turning the ball over. And, and honestly, to me also, play, keeping themselves in a third and four situation on offense third and four and shorter anything outside of that Parkland has the speed to be able to shut down any semblance of a passing game now Canotillo has had a a improved passing game because they have a couple of weapons Um, but Parkland's defense is still very athletic on that outside so that's going to be the key to me can Canotillo execute what Canotillo wants to do and that's play keep away that's you know control the ball two to one in terms of time of possession and not allow Parkland's speed and their athleticism to become a factor so I think Canotillo has done a really good job of doing that against teams and I got to watch it firsthand with Del Valle um, you know Parkland obviously has a little bit more explosive speed um, than Del, what Del Valle brings but that's going to be the key if Parkland's able to roll off some big plays early you know that's going to soften up Canotillo in, in certain areas so I think that's the first quarter and a half I think for Canotillo to be able to establish their running game establish their defense playing in Parkland's backfield and really pushing Parkland in the third and longs and forcing Parkland to punt rather than big plays that's going to be huge if Canotillo's defense can put Parkland in third down situations that is going to you know Parkland's not doesn't have an experienced quarterback to make those key plays that you're going to need on a third down in an important game like this so you know I, I just I, I really feel Canotillo's really going to make Parkland play left-handed in this game and to me that's advantage Canotillo and, and, and in that case you know seeing Canotillo win by a couple scores is not out of the realm of possibility if they're able to execute what Canotillo wants to do. Here's my pick for second best game of the week. It's Motwood Eastwood. I love this game for so many reasons, Alex, and I'm ready to throw it out there. And I think you might be ready too. I'm picking Motwood. I'm picking Motwood in the close one. Melendez has been impressive. I, I like Melendez last year. I wish he had a little bit more juice on the ground as far as just health. 
I like Oaxaca as my number one receiver in the, in the city. I don't think, I think he's just outstanding. And then defensively, I think that's where you, they get you. I'm picking Montwood. I'm picking Montwood against Eastwood in this game. I'm very impressed with the Eastwood troopers, but I think they're reeling right now, you know, losing, losing uh, three straight feeling like they have to win every game. That's just not a great place to be when you're a team. And I know Julio Lopez will do a great job getting them into the playoffs. I don't have any doubts there, but I have doubts about this game. I'm picking Montwood. Yeah. You know, it's a gut check game for Eastwood. You know, it really, really is. They're not done quite yet, but if they lose, they're done. It's hard to see them really ju- – I mean, it's anytime you lose more than two games in a, in a district season, you know, it's miracles have to happen for you to make the playoffs. So, you know, really Eastwood's playing for their season this week. And, and, and you know, I, I agree with you, Adrian. I, I would put Montwood as a three-and-a-half, four-point favorite in this one um, because of, of, you know, Eastwood really falling off the past couple of weeks. Even going back two we- uh, three weeks ago when they took a pretty hard loss in San Antonio, now, albeit that's a very good team that they played out there. But, you know, for them to lose 48-7, that's not what we expected out of Eastwood, especially the way that Eastwood's played against some of these – big-time out-of-town opponents the past couple of years. So, you know, to me, Eastwood's season is on the line. Um, Montwood's the favorite. You know, obviously, Montwood's coming in with, with, with a little bit more confidence overall. Um, but, you know, to me, my prediction this game, it, it's a toss-up. You know, I, I, I'll tell you what, though, there's going to be more than 80 combined uh, points scored in this game. I would set that over under, like, 81, 82 and a half. Um, because that scoreboard yes. is going to light. Is, is there a doubleheader on Thursday? I got to ask you that. Is there, is there a doubleheader? Is there just Ooh, one game? I got to check this. I'm, I'm checking see. this on the fly. This is the snow. It, oh, no, there's no doubleheader. It's a 7 so then, o'clock kick. Yeah, because if there was a doubleheader, people probably wouldn't get out of there until midnight. That's really what I was waiting <laughs> for. But, yeah, everybody should get out of there around 1030. I have some, uh, Thursday night softball. I'm going to uh, – hopefully I should be able to get over there because – this is going to be one of those games, man. It's going to be one of those games where it's going to go back and forth, momentum swings, turnovers, uh, special teams plays. You know, it's hard for me to predict, give a confident prediction just because of Eastwood's explosiveness on offense. But, you know, Montwood's the favorite. You know, this game, it really is Montwood's to lose Um, because what that's also going to do for Montwood, that pretty much knocks out one other playoff team, you know what I mean, from from the race that you have a game up on. So I think for, for Montwood, the stakes are a little bit higher for them or the pressure may be a little bit higher, you know, for them to go out there and grab this win and to keep themselves their head above water in terms of being two and one going into what would be the midway point of district play. Man, that's going to be a great game. I just, I can't get over it. I can't get over that. Uh, Three straight weeks, Alex. Three straight weeks of the sack having great games. I mean, last week you see the the uh, amazing finish between Parkland El Dorado. Two weeks ago, you see the upset of Pebble Hills over Eastwood. Yep, and then you know, going even back to that Thursday game where, like you mentioned, Pebble Hills Eastwood, that one um, double dip this week, and then you know, I think uh, what do you got? Hey, who knows what if Socorro Pebble Hills turns into a crazy game Friday? That four o'clock game, you know, there you go. Up this week, so yeah, man, uh, always fun games at the sack, and that, like we mentioned, you know, we mentioned this probably three weeks ago, really even before the we probably two or three weeks before district play started of how one six a is. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be wild every week and, and you know those fans that that get to watch games at the sack every week i mean they're in for a treat man 
Yeah, I got to try to make it out there. It's a lot. There's a lot going on that day. The Rams are playing the Seahawks. Uh, I'm on That's life right. support right now with the Rams. So uh, <laughs> this is a, this is an emotional roller coaster. So we, I don't know. Maybe they maybe they got uh, Wi-Fi up there at the sack that is good uh, good enough for me to stream the game. Let's see. Um, or you can listen on 600 ESPN El Paso. There you go. You're the you're the plug right there. I need to ask you for the connections. That's right. <laughs> That's great, dude. I love that. Um, game of the week. I can't wait to talk about this one. I mean, on one side you have Darren Walker is back. Stephen Powers is back. Shea Smith is back in terms of production in the way that he performed against Eastwood Troopers. The Franklin Cougars right now um, have the second best record in 6A. They are 2-0 to start off district play, had a shootout against Eastwood and beat them on their territory. And then in week one, uh, you, you know, you, well, you look all the way back to how they started off the season in week one against Rio Rancho Cleveland, struggling trying to find their identity offensively and now where where we're at now uh, heading into this East Lake game the Cougars are riding a lot of momentum and they've got the talent to do it but on the other side the Falcons the only perfect 5-0 record in the city of El Paso they are the number one team right now here in the city by definition uh, Elijah Uribe he's the do-it-all guy he does it at the wide receiver position running back position uh, I would start him at quarterback if I was uh, head coach Ruben Rodriguez out there at East Lake um, and that defense, it's so, it's so, you know, under the radar at times, but it should not be over, uh, over said that this defense is just uh, phenomenal what they could do. Alex, preview this game. This is the game of the week. I mean, fire meets steel, man. And, and, and when I'm, the, my biggest matchup in this game is that Franklin offense, who's averaging 510 yards of offense in their last three wins against an East Lake defense, who's really, I mean, nobody scored on them. I mean, nobody's able to figure out how to make adjustments in the second half. I mean, that's really, that's what I'm looking at is, you know, you're talking about a t- one team's major strength against the other team's major strength. And that's Franklin's offense over the past few weeks and really East Lake's defense where nobody's really been able to figure out how to score more than 14 points in a game against East Lake. That's as many points as they've allowed all season long. And, you know, America's, was finding a way with the run game and then they went away from it. Um, you know, even going back to week one where, you know, El Dorado just could not figure out anything of what Isak was going to do defensively. That's the big matchup for me. That's going to be the matchup that's going to dictate things because if that East Lake defense comes up and gives Franklin an issue, East Lake's going to control the ball on the other side with the run game with Elijah Uribe. And, you know, we've seen Franklin, you know, give up points in a sense, you know what I mean? And I think that's really what's going to be the big key. If that Eastlake defense is able to slow down, hold Franklin to at least, you know, at least a clip where they're not gashing them. I think that's really the key. If Franklin is in a position where they're getting seven or eight, point, uh, seven or eight uh, yards per play, that's not what you want to be with Eastlake. Eastlake really kind of going back to what I was talking about with that, that Parkland game. If you're Eastlake, you want to put Franklin in those third and long situations. You don't want Franklin gashing you on first and second down. And that's something that Eastlake's defense has been very good. I mean, we don't keep third down stats, of course, in high school football. I mean, maybe the coaches do, but there's too many teams for us to do it, Adrian. But I would say they're probably 
a, a defending the th- third down, they're probably like in the low 30% as far as teams converting on them on third down. They turn it on on third downs, and that's really going to be a key in this game, I think really for both offenses. But that's going to be the main key. If the Eastlake defense is able to slow down Franklin in any sort of way, that ball goes back to Elijah Uribe. And like I mentioned, this isn't the explosive score in a minute 30 type of offense that we're seeing from Eastlake right now. If they can control the ball and even running out of a wildcat and just let their offensive line push and go Uribe left, Uribe right, uh, Uribe fake a, a jet sweep and go up the middle. I think Eastlake will do that. You know, th- that is their strength right now. Um, obviously, the quarterback position is going to be a very, a very questionable thing for Eastlake. I know listening to Coach Ruben uh, Rodriguez after their last game on TV, he said Sebastian Rendon was hurt. Um, they're hoping to get him back this week. So that's something to also keep an eye on as well. Um, but there's just so many variables that you can look at. But to me, Franklin's offense versus Eastlake's defense, that's going to be the key. That's going to be the big dictating thing as far as how this game is going to go, whether it's going to be high scoring, whether it's a game where Franklin runs away with it, which to me is kind of a, a very – is a high possibility. I would think Franklin is – you know, you're looking at, at records, Eastlake's 5-0. and oh, You know, nobody's – they haven't really been in a close game all year long. But the way Franklin's playing right now and their ability to put up points and, like, you know, I keep going back – um, to a couple of weeks ago when they were neck and neck with Montwood and all of a sudden you hear Franklin 49, Montwood 28. That's what I can possibly see in this game if Eastlake's defense isn't up to par is how explosive Franklin can be. And man, I'm just excited for this one, man. This is going to be a tremendous game and blessed by the high school football gods to be able to call this one, man. <laughs> This is going to be an all-timer, Alex. Uh, I can't wait to hear the coverage from you on Friday. It's going to be a great week. Week seven is here. We're in, we're really in the thick of it, man. Can't wait to. I mean, the next time we talk about uh, talk about this and talk about high school sports, we're going to be talking about who's winning District Six A, probably. Yep. Yeah, and th- and that this is what it is. I mean, we talked about at the beginning of district play where we thought that Eastwood, it was going to come down to Eastwood, um, was going to come down to Eastlake. And then we were kind of worried. We were kind of wondering who's going to be the third. We, you know, we saw against Andrus when we started talking about that, that they had that ability. Well, now it's really between Eastlake and Franklin at this point, as far as, you know, the teams that are showing that they can control their own destiny. And that's what makes this one just a little bit more important. Not only that, you know, you're looking sort of at both teams. Um, you know, th- this is going to set the say. I mean, after this game, every game is going to be a big game. Even for Eastlake, who plays Socorro next week. You know, th- that's really what's, what's going to happen. And, and you're looking at, well, who has probably the easiest schedule going forward after this? I mean, you would have to put it to Franklin. You know, Eastlake still has to play uh, Eastwood at home, which I'm looking forward to. I got next Friday off to watch that four o'clock game in the sack. And then they play at, or excuse me, at the attack the sack. And then they play, at, they play Montwood. So those are two tough games for Eastlake where, you know, Eastlake loses this game. They're in a tough position, depending on how that Eastwood game shakes out this week. So, you know, for both teams, you know, more for that, maybe the pressure is on Eastlake because for Franklin um, after this, they have Socorro, Coronado, America's Pebble Hills, who I think they would be highly favored in all four of those games. But for Eastlake, they still got some tough games coming up, man. So this is an important, very, very important game. I think more for Eastwood or excuse me for Eastlake going into Eastwood next week. You know, you don't know what's going to, we talked about that Eastwood Montwood game. Anything can happen, but you know, that's what, where I look at this more. I think the pressure is more on Eastlake just because of what's left on their schedule. 
Oh, I can't wait for it, Alex. Hey, follow Alex on Twitter at NicholasAlex915. Check out his great work uh, at 600 ESPN El Paso with Football Friday Night. Alex, can't wait to do it again this weekend, man. Gosh, what a great week we have ahead. Uh, can't wait, can't wait. We'll be talking to all of y'all from the Franklin High School Press Box. Tune in to Football Friday Night, y'all. Should be a banger.